the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, and thank you so much for joining us as we get underway at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Thursday edition of The Authority. It is the 13th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program today, we are loaded again. Jay Christian Adams is going to be joining us at 935. Very much looking forward to talking to him uh, about uh, the Senate's uh, attempt, or not, let me rephrase, the attempt by the Democrats to get the Senate to destroy our electoral process by nationalizing it. This bill would formalize um, and codify the chaos of 2020 and allow all kinds of irregularities and outright corruption and fraud to be committed in uh, not just a few states to impact an election, but all 50 states if they nationalize the election. J. Christian Adams, president of the Public Interest Foundation, commissioner of the United States Commission for Civil Rights, will be joining us. He was on with Peter Kersenau when Pete sat in for me. And um, uh, he wrote a piece for the Washington Examiner talking about this Democrat voting bill and what a recipe it is for disaster and for fraud and for chaos. So that's at uh, 935. Coming up at 1010, Dr. Everett Piper for his regular uh, Thursday visit on a host of issues. Then at 1035, Ohio State Representative Scott Wiggum will join us to talk about what is obviously the lead story on everybody else's mind today. And that is uh, the fact that the governor of the state of Ohio tried to jump in ahead of the state general assembly in lifting Ohio's coronavirus restrictions. Make no mistake, do not misunderstand. Mike DeWine, and I'll get into this in a moment after our pledge, but Mike DeWine had no interest whatsoever in lifting these restrictions until it became uh, known that a resolution was being introduced yesterday in the State House by Scott Wiggum and others to rescind 
the restrictive health mandates that have barred Ohioans from their freedoms and constitutional liberties. Ending the mask mandate, ending the school mask mandates, ending the social distancing mandates, ending the occupancy mandates, and so forth. It was coming. Mike DeWine couldn't stop it, so he got out in front of it. And Scott Wiggum will talk to us about that and where we go with the vaccine passport issue coming up as well. So there you have it. It's a full show. Jake Christian Adams, Dr. Everett Piper, and Ohio State Representative Scott Wiggum. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to hear from you. I do. 216-901-0945. Get in early if you would like before 930-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers gets you here. Now, before I start giving you the news of the day, what do you say we pause for our pledge? Patriots, please stand and rise. I guess that's the same thing, isn't it? Stand, rise, your choice, which one of those two things you do. Put your hand over your heart. If you have a flag in your front yard, like people have sent me pictures of them doing, standing and looking out their window at their flag, uh, please, by all means, face it and join us in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, uh, so Mike DeWine did it yesterday. At least he announced that it's going to be done on June 2nd. Why he has to wait three more weeks is anybody's guess. It is just as arbitrary as the numbers he picked uh, to create his coloring book. Remember, you're in the red or you're in the purple, you're in the orange or you're in the yellow, depending on what number you have in your county of number of uh, positive cases that have been tested. And it was those were arbitrary. They meant nothing. Just a way for him to be able to say, look what I'm doing. I've got my finger on all of this. It's a joke. It was a joke. It is a joke. But what's not a joke is the suffering and the damage that has been done in the state of Ohio to workers, to businesses, uh, to everyone, to children, to school children, to sports teams and athletes. It has been absolutely devastating what has been done to the state of Ohio. And we begged the Ohio General Assembly, Republican-controlled, for the last 14 months to act. We begged them to buck the Republican governor, even though that is supposedly an ally, a same-party ally. Do not let Mike DeWine, who started out listening to Democrats like Amy Acton in this whole thing. We begged them to do something to get the governor to stop this destructive policy, which was doing no good whatsoever for anybody in terms of health. Please stop it. And they moseyed along and kind of just haladi dottied it for, for several months, not wanting to be on the wrong side of the statistics, not wanting to be on the wrong side of the narrative. And they occasionally would come up with something, okay, we'll limit him this way and we'll pass this. But he said, if you do, I'll veto it. He did veto a couple of bills that the assembly put together. The assembly wasn't strong enough. They weren't united enough, hence my la-di-da attitude that they seem to show, uh, to override said vetoes. Until finally SB 22 came around. SB 22 was passed a couple of months ago. SB 22 was vetoed a couple of months ago. And finally SB 22 was uh, uh, made law by an override of Mike DeWine's veto. Now that veto or excuse me, that law, rather, that was overridden, uh, uh, that became law by overriding the veto, 
uh, couldn't take effect until 90 days after that override vote. And that 90 days is coming up. That 90 days was June 22nd or 23rd, depending on how you look at it, the day of or if it has to be 90 days passing and then the next day you can do something. But 90 days before the General Assembly could vote, to undo or lift any of the policies or restrictions put in place by the Ohio Department of Health or the Ohio governor or some unholy alliance between the two. And they were ready to do so. Again, just yesterday, the announcement of the resolution, Representative Scott Wiggum announced on Twitter that the concurrent resolution would be filed to rescind the restrictive health mandates that have barred Ohioans from their freedoms and liberties. I'm quoting... Uh, granted to them under the Constitution. It will end the mask mandate, the school mask mandates, and the social distancing mandate. The resolution is, end quote, the resolution was jointly sponsored by Representative Ron Ferguson from Wintersville, has 28 co-sponsors. Wiggum projected it would get 50 by the time the news was released. And the resolution, release time, was 90 minutes before Mike DeWine was scheduled to appear on television to address Ohioans for the purpose of, quote, continuing his conversation on where we are in our fight against the coronavirus and our progress toward reaching the end of the COVID pandemic, end quote. Well, the resolution's announcement changed the game for Mike DeWine, completely changed the game. He couldn't sit there and talk about how we are going to continue with the restrictions that continue to make Ohioans suffer. He couldn't do that with the resolution with all of those state uh, representatives and senators potentially co-sponsoring concurrent resolutions in each uh, chamber. He couldn't do that. So he stepped out instead and said, um, on June 2nd, yeah, um, June 2nd, that's when we're going to lift the health, health orders. You did it. You did it, Ohio. Great job. And, and because you did it, and because you did what I told you to do for the last 14 months or 12 months or whatever, certainly on the mask mandate since last July, so what do we have there, about eight months, since you did what I told you to do, it worked. Look at that. You masked up, and you kept apart from your friends and loved ones, and you sh- sacrificed your job, and your businesses got closed, and your kids weren't educated. And, and, and then you got foreign uh, bodies injected into your arms. You did what I told you to do, and now we can lift all of those mandates. Mike DeWine is so stupid that he thinks you're so stupid. I mean, honestly, he and his team believe that we are going to sit here and buy, that he came up with this idea that June 2nd is the date all by himself. Again, an arbitrary date, just picked out of a hat. As long as it was earlier than uh, June 23rd, that would give him what he needed, which is the ability to own and take care of the lifting himself rather than having the uh, General Assembly vote and lift those restrictions, completely usurping his authority and his power and making him look like the weak, bespectacled little buffoon that he is. Any time before June uh, June 23rd. So he picked June 2nd. Woohoo! Senate Bill 22, which allows us, Wiggum said yesterday, on June 23rd to put a concurrent resolution in place to rescind those orders, had to pass with a supermajority, and it did. And that allows for this. The resolution was done weeks ago when we'd been putting it forward to members' leadership and had conversations with the Senate. Constituents and legislators have been screaming and yelling to get something done. Well, 
That's true. Of course, many of us have been screaming and yelling since, um, uh, you know, last April, essentially. Remember when it was two weeks to flatten the curve? Stay, stay home, everybody. Only go out if you are an essential worker. Go to your job and do your thing there just for a couple of weeks. Just a couple of weeks. Got to flatten the curve. Don't let the health system get overrun. Fourteen months later, here we sit. And it took an act of legislation by the General Assembly to spark this buffoon into lifting the orders and giving us back our constitutional rights. And I would say to you this. He didn't give it back to us. You understand? We took it back. Groups like Free Ohio Now, groups like Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom, groups like Ohio Stands Up that I tell you about twice a day and I've been begging you to help fund and support because they have put pressure on these representatives in Columbus to make this happen. Remember, the three-pronged approach, education, political, and judicial. Educating Americans, bringing them in, them in by the thousands to throw their weight around in the political arena. Telling our representation in the uh, Ohio uh, General Assembly, in the State House in particular, what we want done. And then, failing that, going to court to sue time and time and time again and getting little victories here and there, all geared toward uh, getting a decision from the Ohio Supreme Court and making sure that nobody can ever lock us down like this again. Ohio Stands Up has stood up. We are making this change. We sparked the General Assembly into action to pass that resolution, or actually to pass that SB 22, then to pass the resolution. And, of course, that is what was used as the cudgel uh, to make Mike DeWine lift these um, uh, restrictions. So Mike DeWine making his announcement last night, 5 o'clock. Cases have dropped in Ohio. A while ago, we set a goal, and we are moving toward that goal. As more and more eligible Ohioans get vaccinated, we are seeing more and more signs that the tide of this pandemic is finally turning now in our favor. And he's making it sound as though, you see, my policies and my orders were followed, and look at what we've done. This is nothing but a political campaign for Mike DeWine, who's trying desperately to save his butt and and give him some support for re-election, hoping that people will forget the pain that was suffered by the state of Ohio, businesses and workers and people with depression, Substance abuse, domestic abuse, all of those things on the rise, skyrocketing, that we've covered over the last 14 months. Number one, we won't forget. Number two, you didn't lift the restrictions. We forced your hand. We forced your hand by getting to the legislators and getting to the um, uh, representatives to pass that resolution. We did that. Make no mistake about it, Mike DeWine. But he didn't stop there. After making the announcement that he was going to do something that was going to be taken out of his control three weeks later anyway, Mike DeWine made perhaps the most bizarre, ridiculous, and quite frankly disturbing announcement that, he, that he's ever made. 
We'll talk about that coming up here in just a couple of minutes. It's 921. I want to remind you now about Ohio Stands Up because I was just talking about it anyway. Ohio Stands Up made this happen. Tom Renz and his legal team, uh, along with you and me and other members of Ohio Stands Up, I've been begging you for weeks now to join at OhioStandsUp.org so that we wield more power against our uh, legislators or with our legislators in Columbus. And we've done it. Let's go ahead and turn that down a little bit for me there, will you, so people can hear what I'm saying. The more power we have, the more uh, you know, likely it is that we'll get them to do what we ask them to do. And that's what has happened here. Now, we're not done because we still don't know what, uh, what else is coming down the line. Until uh, House Bill 248 passes, which stops vaccine requirements and discrimination against those who don't get vaccinated, unless those things, are, or those, uh, bills like that are passed, we're still not done. So OhioStandsUp.org continues its work. Please join us. Get online at OhioStandsUp.org. Become a new member. That's free. But then if you have the means to donate 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, so that we can continue the pressure. Remember, this is a 501c3. It is not for profit. Nobody's getting paid off of this. It's just covering the expenses to file the lawsuits. This works. Yesterday was proof that it works. Please help us continue to let it work. Please donate now at OhioStandsUp.org. That's OhioStandsUp.org. Become a member for ourselves, for our rights, for our kids. Join and donate now at OhioStandsUp.org. Okay, 925. I'll just get it in so that you can hear it for yourself. I'm sure you already know about it by now anyway, but um, I'll let you hear this for yourself, and then I'll take a couple of calls on it before uh, before we move on. Uh, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine made this bizarre, disturbing announcement yesterday. Two weeks from tonight, on May 26th, we will announce a winner of a separate drawing for adults adults who have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. This announcement will occur each Wednesday for five weeks, and the winner each Wednesday will receive $1 million. The pool of names for the Ohio Vaccine Million drawing will be derived from the Ohio Secretary of State's publicly available voter registration database. He actually called it Vaccine Millions. He actually came up with the name Vaximillions. One, he, he did his best Dr. Evil, by the way, with his $1 million. Five weeks, five winners, $1 million each, plus teenagers. You get that uh, experimental vaccine pumped into you. You could get a scholarship to go to college at Ohio University for four years. Where's all this money coming from? Huh? Where's the money coming from? You don't think it's coming from Pfizer or Moderna, do you? The corporations that have been producing the vaccines and selling them to governments in the United States and around the world? You don't think they're putting up the money for it, for it, do you? Of course not. It's your money. Not specifically Ohio taxpayer money. It's American taxpayer money. It's money that was approved via the COVID relief fund. But that money wasn't meant to be used to incentivize or entice or bribe Ohio citizens into taking a vaccine that they may not want to take. That money for the COVID, from the COVID relief fund was supposed to be to help the businesses that were destroyed rebuild. 
That money was supposed to be used to restart the economy that was devastated by Mike DeWine's decisions. Instead, he's going to use it to be Monty Hall, and let's make a deal. You take this shot, I'll put your name in the hopper for a million bucks, five times. Anybody ever read Shirley Jackson's book called The Lottery? This particular drawing, I think, is a lot more in common with Shirley Jackson's book, The Lottery, than it does with the Ohio Lottery. If you are a literary person, a fan of literature, if you studied or read that in college, you'll know what I mean. That's what this one is is much more akin to. Bob is in Middleburg Heights. Hey, Bob, go ahead. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Someone sent me an article last night about what you just described, DeWine's little game show there. And yeah. I didn't believe it. I, I was gonna ask, That's why I called to ask you if you heard about it. I guess you did. I mean, where do I have to go where there is a sensible reality out there? I mean, this world is going nuts. Well, I think you just used an oxymoron, sensible reality. There's, there's no sense in reality anymore, quite frankly. I mean, the reality is the, is, is the absurd right now. And it's because of leaders like him, uh, Bob. And uh, you were right to not believe it at first. I didn't either when I first heard about it yesterday. And thanks for the call, my friend. I, uh, I don't know what to make of it other than it, this is a misuse of funds that are supposed to be allocated for Ohio businesses, not for gimmicks and enticements or bribes to be, uh, you know, to, to Ohio citizens to put the needle in their arm. And again, if you want to put the needle in your arm, whether it be for the vaccine or not, it's your choice. I believe in freedom, and I believe in choice. I don't believe in spending taxpayer dollars that are intended to help the economy recover by helping businesses recover. Uh, I don't believe using those funds for this uh, little bribery scheme are, is right. Diane in West Park. Hi, Diane. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. If I may first comment on what you were just talking about, I think it's actually a criminal offense to be bribing 12 to 17-year-olds with that money. I mean, this is not a tested, quote, quote, vaccines. These are not FDA-approved. It's wrong. It's just unconscionable that he's doing this, and you could hear the glee in his voice that being the, the um, oh, God, the... the uh, what the the uh, giver of such gifts but my second point was what you first talked about and that is i'm rah-rah for this uh lifting of the mandate i'm tempted to go everywhere without my mask now right now to starting today but what's what will happen to the um laws or the codified uh authority in the revised code that will be used in future pandemics by the governor and his health director what are they removing some of those well and the I, law the, the hope- law that was passed the law that was passed uh, the sb22 that would that override overrode his veto and thank you uh diane i gotta go here for the news the law that was passed does give the general assembly the ohio legislature the chance to stop future orders in health scares emergencies pandemics or whatever after 30 days anything that the governor and or the health department puts in place in the future uh, can be undone after 30 days now you may say that's not enough 30 days a lot of damage can be done it's true but it does have an end date then it, it at the very least uh, we have a say now through our representation uh, so we'll talk more about that as we continue but right now we'll take a time out for news on am 1420 the answer <laughs>
progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 937, a little, little, little late coming back in. Excuse me, but thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, let's take a break now from the theater of the absurd uh, that is the Mike DeWine administration. He is Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. You take the stab, and I'll, uh, and I'll put you in a drawing for a million bucks. We'll take a break from that, and let's talk about something that is infinitely more important. And you say, how can it be? Well, the future of this republic is in jeopardy. We are literally in danger of a one-party rule for uh, the future of future of the future. Uh, what I mean by that is Republicans will never win another election again if the House bill or House Resolution 1, which is now up for debate in S1 in the Senate, uh, if it passes. If it passes and they are allowed to change the rules uh, and essentially regulate all state elections by a federal body, um, we're done. Uh, this this will change everything in our future. Joining us now to talk about how dangerous this is is a man who wrote an article about it uh, just a couple of days ago, The Recipe for Chaos and Fraud, that is S1. J. Christian Adams, who is our second, by the way, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights to join us on these airwaves. Peter Kersenow joins us each and every week, uh, Mr. Adams. Uh, it is so good to have you on the program. How are you? Uh, it's great to be here. I think Pete had me on the show a couple weeks ago, and uh, always great to be talking to Cleveland. I loved the fact that he brought you on. That was terrific. Yeah, Pete sits in for me uh, whenever he's able, whenever I can't be here. And uh, he told me he was going to have you on. I thought that was just very, very great uh, for our audience, a treat for our audience. And um, I, I want to treat them now to a little bit of your wisdom as it pertains to what is known as S-1. It was H.R. 1, of course, when it passed through the House, the Democrat-controlled House. Um it doesn't have as easy passage in front of it in the Senate because there are one or two possibly reasonable, more moderate, less socialist senators that they would need to convince to go with this thing in order for this thing to pass. Uh, tell us two things, J. Christian Adams. Number one, what is the likelihood of that? And number two, how dangerous is this bill? Well, thank goodness for uh, possibly for Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat who says that he doesn't think we should radically transform the country on a on a purely partisan vote, which is where this was headed. He actually said, and this is a Democrat, this is not Jay Christian Adams talking, he said it would cause anarchy and chaos if the bill passed. And he's exactly right. And that gets into the second point, the dangers. This is a federal takeover of elections. It nullifies the constitutional bargain that we've lived under for, for over 200 years where the states are in charge of their own affairs, and it sends the power to Washington, D.C. bureaucrats to write the rules of elections. It's a disaster. It would cause all of the chaos of 2020 to become a federal mandate. For example, and we could talk about so many examples in the bill, but it would require mail ballots to come in late for 10 days after an election, which means all over the country you're not going to have any decisions on who won until close to Thanksgiving. And, and of course, that invites chaos and litigation and lawyers and judges and, and, and absolute uh, mayhem. You know what's interesting? Um, you know, I, I've kind of had to take a step back from this because there was a time in the aftermath of November 3rd, 2020, I called for uh, federal takeover of the elections, but it's because I thought that reasonable people would be the ones writing the national bill. In other words, yeah. you know, when they were done uh, voting and we had results in every state by, you know, by 10 p.m., except for the few that said, ah, 
we'll come back tomorrow and we'll start start again in the morning and you know, whatever happens overnight you know well you know we, we see no evil we hear no evil uh, we should we should we should normalize and regulate every state in terms of early voting the same number of days every state have the same uh, absentee uh, 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 ballot provisions uh, you know and I thought if we had it done that way we wouldn't have all of this chaos but of course I had to take a step back because we don't necessarily have reasonable people in charge of such a federal takeover it would be the Democrats. Well, I used to work in the voting section of the Justice Department. I promise you, you do not want people like Avner Shapiro, which was one of my co-workers, writing the rules for the country. These are radical left-wing, often Marxist people Mm -hmm. who would be in charge of national standards. Washington is a company town run by the left. And when you send any power to Washington, any power to Washington, the left grabs it and runs with it. It's not reasonable people who do it. And more to the point, the founders wanted power closest to the people. That's in the state legislatures. You can call your state legislature, a state legislator in Columbus, and probably get a return phone call today. Try doing that with your senator, or worse, try doing that with Abner Shapiro at the Justice Department. Whenever, whenever power is far away from the people, power gets abused. When power is closest to the people liberty is protected and that's why the founders set it up and didn't want washington dc writing federal standards it's only worse 230 years later because now the people who run washington are hardcore radical leftists you don't want washington having the power to write standards very well said we are talking with jay christian adams jay christian adams is the president of the public interest legal foundation he's a former justice department attorney and also as noted current commissioner on the civil rights commission that is also uh uh joined by peter kersenow so um you know what i guess a lot of people are wondering is because we see georgia and we see florida even in ohio now which was won by eight points by president trump and there were not widespread allegations of irregularities here we are also in our state uh looking at strengthening voter uh, voter laws so that we don't have such problems in the future um so i guess the question is is if if s1 were to pass would that be enough to essentially take all of these state laws that are being passed to strengthen election integrity? Would it wipe, would it make them null and void? Or would, yes. since, since the state's rights are granted to us by the Constitution uh, and the founders, would they not need a, con, uh, a constitutional amendment to remove state rights and allow this federal body to make the decisions? Well, as a practical matter, as a practical matter, it would nullify the Ohio laws as they stand. And by the way, there's some bills moving through Columbus that are not so good, but we can talk about that another time. Okay. The, 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 uh, you're right that the presumption is the states run their own elections. But, but these guys are passing this bill under the 14th Amendment and 15th Amendment. 15th Amendment is the amendment after the Civil War that prohibited discrimination voting on the basis of race, as well as the elections clause, which gives Congress the power to set the time, place, and manner of congressional elections. Not presidential, not dog catcher, not local, but congressional. But the racial one, they think if you don't have 45 days of early voting, it's Jim Crow. They think that if you have a witness signature requirement on an absentee ballot, that it's a literacy test. They think that if you have voter ID or if you clean your voter rolls or if you do any of the basics, that that's Jim Crow 2.0. That's the crazy worldview that these people are coming from to justify the takeover under the Constitution. 
Um, so that that's important to note. Uh, I want to talk about some of the other problems, as you wrote for the Washington Examiner, Jay Christian Adams, with this. Um, you know, we talk about some of the uh, some of the laws that are being passed in in other states. The most important one, I think, of course, is voter ID. You note correctly that according to a poll released by the uh, AP, seventy two percent approve of requiring a photo ID to vote. Here in the state of Ohio, this new law that they're proposing that people on the left are complaining about would allow digital um, utility bills to be used as identification, and they're still complaining. Why do you want to know who anyone is with any modicum of of uh, 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 you know uh, proof? I guess of who they say they are, much less a photo identification. Why is this such an uh, uh, you know a, a sticking point for f- the far left when when seventy two percent of Americans say this is what should be done? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll let you in on a dirty little secret that I learned at the Justice Department, okay? We've all heard people opposing voter ID saying, oh, it's too hard to get. And, of course, we know that's a lie because it's free and easy, and in some states they'll even send a truck to your house and a van to your house to give you your ID. Mm -hmm. Here's the dirty secret. They think, and they won't say this publicly, but this is what they say behind closed doors. They oppose voter ID because they think that their constituents are going to forget it. They're going to forget it, leave it at home, or lose it, or, or misplace their ID. That's what's really driving opposition to voter ID. It's not the idea it's hard to get. They think it's too easy for their voters to forget it. And I'm, I'm deadly serious about that. That's what they think really will happen. They just don't say that publicly. Um, is is <laughs> How do I word this delicately? Um, are they suggesting that their voters are uh, less capable of doing adult-like things such as maintaining your identification uh and and not losing it and if they say that they are less capable if that is their concern i i I can't help but think that that is a slur of some sort well when the justice department was fighting north carolina the holder justice department in texas on voter id they put up an expert on the witness stand named charles stewart who testified literally testified that blacks were less sophisticated he literally testified to this and that is exactly what they think they aren't even secret about it when you look at their court filings that's literally what their experts are saying that blacks are less sophisticated that is their words not mine by the way listeners their blacks are less sophisticated and therefore they can't uh they can't be expected to bring voter id to the poll or to get it, and they literally use that in expert testimony. So much for my need to make that delicate, um, <laughs> because that just threw, threw the delicacy out the window. Where where, where can I find that? And in fact, I'll, I want to ask you that here. I want to see that. I want to see that test. You know that, if, especially if it's made public. I would love love to see that in the filings, uh, because that's extraordinarily important. We all know what Joe Biden meant when he said uh, that. Um, you know, online voter reg- or excuse me, online vaccination registration was hurting blacks and Hispanics because blacks and Hispanics can't get on, uh, unlike other minority groups, can't get online and can't uh, uh, figure out how to get in line in order to take vaccinations. I mean, all, we have heard time and time again the argument from the left, particularly the Democrat leadership, that blacks and other minorities just, as you say, can't get ID. That's why they call it voter suppression, and more importantly, they call it minority voter suppression i just don't understand how that type of language isn't condemned from all sides of the political spectrum suggesting that the color of one's skin makes one more or less able to obtain an identification to vote 
Well, I, I did. I think I wrote an article at Breitbart after Charles Stewart offered this testimony on behalf of, by the way, the taxpayers of the United States. He was an expert for the United States of America saying the blacks are less sophisticated. So you all listening paid for this. It wasn't just sort of some kooky group like the A. Philip Randolph Institute. This was this was the United States Justice Department paying this man probably fifty or sixty thousand dollars to testify that blacks are less sophisticated to get voter ID. So this has been in the wide open. You could Google it. I think I wrote the piece at Breitbart where I quote the testimony as well as the expert report. They've been saying this for years. So this is what drives their opposition to voter ID is a really rotted attitude toward African-Americans. I just found it, by the way, as you were talking. Okay, I went good. Ahead. There's your piece, J. Christian Adams. It was from 2014, and it does indeed contain the uh, quotes by Charles Stewart. So we'll definitely talk more about that another time. Let's go back to uh, S1. Uh, you write that it will significantly worsen the problem of deceased registrants and duplicate reg- registrants who have appear to have voted twice. Uh, you know, you talk about in 2016, nearly 350,000 deceased regist- rest- registrants voted and 43,000 duplicate registrants who voted twice, uh, S1 would uh, do what to that? Well, make it worse, because what, what it'll do, and this is a response to Ohio, by the way, it will prohibit states from using inactivity, meaning you don't vote for like 20 elections. Mm-hmm. It'll prohibit states from using inactivity to do any list maintenance on the voter rolls and any cleanup, any ridding of dead wood on the voter rolls. You can't do it under under S-1. And that's directly in response to what Ohio's big Supreme Court victory was a year or two ago in the A. Philip Randolph Institute. There's a second time I mentioned them, uh, where where these left-wing groups tried to prevent Ohio from cleaning the voter rolls. And, and Ohio won at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, yeah, mm-hmm. you can use an activity to clean your voter rolls as a tool. It's not the only thing, but you can use it. You can consider it. Well, SR1 or S1 would change and ban Ohio from considering the fact that somebody hasn't voted for 30 years, whether or not they're going to clean the rolls. Jake, Jake Christian Adams is our guest. As I introduce this segment, um, uh, is it as dramatic as I made it sound? Is the republic in its, in its entirety in jeopardy if, if something like S1 passes and the Democrats completely federalize the electoral process? Yeah, these are the new secessionists. These are the people who want to break up the union. We wouldn't have the United States. We wouldn't have the United States if the provisions of S-1 were in front of the founders of Philadelphia. They'd say, sorry, we're not going to become a United States. We're going to just stick with being Pennsylvania and Georgia and, and individual states. We wouldn't have a United States. These are the new people firing on Fort Sumter. These are the people who are deciding to nullify the bargain of our constitution it's not us doing it it's them this time and and uh it is no understatement to say they are undoing the entire central issue that led to the formation of this country and that's that states get to control their own affairs a federal takeover of elections is is fighting words i mean this is this is as serious as it gets there's not much more they can do to a state that is worse except maybe like having a federal ouster of a governor, which would be, uh, that would be an absolute mutiny to the Constitution. But this is getting right up to that edge. 
want to advise everybody to read uh, J. Christian Adams' words for townhall.com. I always start my news day with townhall.com, and you should, too. This piece, uh, headline, Democrats voting bill, recipe for chaos and fraud. Read it and share it so that we can put pressure on our senators to, uh, to make sure to vote against. And I know we're really only looking for one or two Democrats to vote against it to stop it, but uh, to stop this federal takeover of elections. J. Christian Adams, thank you so much for the great insight and wisdom. We appreciate it, sir. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day. All right, 9.52. We'll take a time out here, come back with a couple of calls. I told you, you got to pick your spots in between interviews because Everett Piper's coming up after the top of the hour. Get in now on The Answer. Okay, 9.56. Thanks for being with us. We got so much going on right now, for goodness sakes. Mike DeWine yesterday trying to get a jump on the General Assembly and lifting the orders that they were going to have lifted on June 23rd. Pledging a million dollars five weeks in a row to one lucky vaccine recipient. <laughs> uh, of course, we've got the Senate uh, in flux right now with uh, the Democrats trying to take over the federal, uh, and federalize all of our elections. Uh, it's crazy right now. Don't forget Dr. Piper coming up after the top of the hour. John and Chardon is up now, though. John, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, morning, Bob. Good morning, uh, sir. De- DeWine had decreed that in three weeks there's no longer a state man- a state mask man- mandate. Yes. And I'm wondering, why three weeks? Why does he just do it and be done with it? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question, and that's exactly why we can say with such confidence that it, that it is completely arbitrary. You know, he was just going to pick a date uh, out of a hat that was before June 23rd. And June 23rd, or on June 23rd, he loses his authority. That's when the 90 days are up, and the General Assembly can vote to lift his orders immediately. So, you know, rather than having his powers usurped, he just said, well, I'll, I'll get a jump on them. You know, he still isn't ready to give up his power completely. He'll cling to it for another three weeks on june 2nd then it'll end and he'll be able to say this is even faster getting rid of this order these or lifting these orders is being done even faster than it would have been done with the general assembly aren't i great um he, he thinks you're dumb john he thinks we're stupid all of us <laughs> well appreciate your insight on it bob yes sir yes sir thanks for the call john i appreciate you uh look this is this is the reality of the situation mike dewine has guessed from the start more specifically, he has followed the guessing of some of his most least, or some of his, I guess most least, and works, most least qualified uh, people from the start. Amy Acton, if you remember when all of this began last March, Amy Acton declared that there were going to be 100,000 new cases in the state of Ohio per day. Per day! And this this was this was obscene, and she was only off by around ninety nine thousand. Um, and and this is who Mike Dewine listened to in creating his orders. Then, fast forwarding to July, he declares, "Just give us two more weeks. Just two. No, I'm sorry. Beg your pardon. Two weeks was to flatten the curve in March when it came down to the uh, the lockdowns. When it came to the mask mandate, he was asked." how long the mask mandate would be in effect. He said, give me four weeks. Then he said, make it six. This is all on tape. Four weeks, maybe six weeks of wearing masks, and we'll crush this virus. 
and we'll be fine. We'll be good to go then. That was in July. This is now May. Eight months later, we're still hiding behind the face diapers, or at least many are. And what's dis- I've got two things that are disturbing here as we head into the news. Number one is the number of people who heard him and are saying, Yay! I can't wait till June 2nd! Then coronavirus won't be deadly anymore! Then I can take off my mask! As if there's something different between now, May 13th, and June 2nd. As if something is going to change. These people are just... I, I don't want to insult everybody and call them morons, but... In all seriousness, seriousness, these people are just not deep thinkers at all, or they've been conditioned, and they've bought into the fear and the panic porn that has been pushed. So you got that disturbing side, and then the other one is Mike DeWine is actually being criticized by people on the far left for daring to lift this restriction. What about the variant, they say? What about the India variant? What about the British variant? What about this variant? You know, it could still come and get us. Don't lift the mandates, please. These people are addicted to fear. They're addicted to it. And they're willing to surrender their liberties in deference to their fear. That is disturbing. 